Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Let's listen to a little bit of this Sophie Tucker song. That's the matchless Sophie Tucker singing Mr. Siegel, and I'm Shana Hammerman, and I'll be talking about women like Sophie Tucker. Can you see okay? And can you hear me all right? That's Sophie Tucker, and at the bottom, that's Amy Schumer. And Sophie Tucker was singing her song, Mr. Siegel, and you can see some of the lyrics here. She says, Mr. Siegel, you'd better make it legal. Mr. Siegel Mazeltov, something happened accidentally, consequently, we should marry. And then my favorite line down here, Mr. Siegel, Mr. Siegel, in my boy Hishreina Kegel, in my belly, there's a kugel already, yeah? Uh, Mr. Siegel, make it legal for me. So today we're going to talk about how comedians perform their gender and ethnicity on screen. And in this case, the ethnicity is Jewishness, but I think we can extrapolate this to other ethnic groups, um, religious groups, and so on. Um, And we're going to ask about the consequences of these uh, these, uh, performances for viewers and for the performers themselves. So we're going to start by talking about Jon Stewart's Jewishness uh, as an example of a Jewish man comedian. Then we're going to shift and talk about Jewish women comedians like Amy Schumer. And finally, we're going to ask how and why gender presents specific possibilities and limitations in performances of Jewishness. So this is a clip from August of 2015, when The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, now The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, um, was coming to a close. And as it was coming to a close, Jon Stewart would invite uh, his favorite guests, his best friends, comedians, and others that he admired uh, to kind of toast him and roast him at the end of his 16-year run on screen. So this here, does anybody recognize this person? That is Louis C.K. This is, of course, before uh, he was embroiled in his own hashtag MeToo scandal. Um, So while we have to... Take note of that as we watch him now. Um, Audiences in 2015 were not thinking about that. Um, So let's see what Louis C.K. says at the very end of uh, this run with Jon Stewart. At the cellar? Yeah, and you were so great. It was like, who's this little Jew? He's funny. (laughs) That was the original title of my act. Little funny Jew. It was like a Bible. Okay. So the joke is, Louis C.K., not a Jewish comedian, says, when I first saw you, I thought, who's this little Jew? He's funny. And that gets a laugh right away, right? So the question is, why? Why would that get a laugh? Partly, it's a kind of outing. Now, of course, anybody watching Jon Stewart at the very end of his run on his show already knows he's Jewish. He talks about it all the time. But we're not supposed to call people Jew to their face. We're not supposed to label ourselves or others that way. Hey, I'm a Jew. It's a kind of open secret. 
So it's an outing as if Louis is revealing a secret that Stuart was keeping from everyone. Of course, he wasn't. So I want to keep that in mind. But on the second level, Stuart then plays into it, right? He's a great improviser. Um, and he says, oh, yeah, that was actually the name of my act, uh, Little Funny Jew. I, you know, I, I called it Little Funny Jew. So while he's clearly making a joke, it's more than just a way for Louis to poke fun at his friend and for Stuart to play along. This persona, the little funny Jew, is something that Stuart embraced strategically uh, over the course of his years in the host seat. Stuart's little funny Jew character contrasts starkly with his other persona as, quote, the most trusted man in America. Have you heard that? So Walter Cronkite was known as the most trusted man in America. Um, there was a 1972 poll. It was not a very widespread poll, but it was taken, um, I think, across nine states. And people were given the option of who's the most trusted man in America. Walter Cronkite was on that list, so was Richard Nixon. And everybody else was a politician as well. So Walter Cronkite won in a landslide. And from that point forward, he was always known as the most trusted man in America. So when he died in 2009, Time Magazine put out a new poll that said, now that Cronkite has passed, who is America's most trusted newscaster? And the green is Jon Stewart. They asked uh, across the, the country. There were almost 10,000 votes. Um, Katie Couric got Iowa which will show you that Iowa results don't always tell you everything. Um, and we have uh, Brian Williams, who himself has now been embroiled in scandal, and Charlie Gibson. So we're living in a kind of a post-scandal age. But at the time, this stand-up comedian, uh, this little funny Jew, uh, held this title at the same time, right? He held both of these things. As most trusted, Stewart was the main source of news for a generation of viewers, and he shared his stage with some of America's and the world's most important newsmakers. While it may seem like the Little Funny Jew Act would undermine the more serious role as most trusted, I explore how those Jewish moments engendered that trust. Remarkably, attributing the title most trusted newscaster to someone who would deny that he's even a journalist is part of how he earned the title. He always would say he was in the back of the country making wisecracks. Uh, but actually, he was on the front lines, right? People were watching him for the news. He would always play down his own power, not just as a straight white man, but also as an exceptionally successful, wealthy entertainer. So part of how he does that, part of how he plays down his own power and makes himself accessible, accessible and trustworthy is by drawing attention to his Jewishness. If Jewishness is fashioned as a secret vulnerability, right? The little funny Jew thing. It becomes a perfect tool for lowering his status and making him into a relatable everyman and not someone who has sat in the White Office and advised the President of the United States. All right, here's John Stewart again, and who's that? Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley. So this is an interview with Charles Barkley in 2012. And uh, they were talking about hockey for some reason, and Charles Mar Barkley made a joke like, I'm a brother, I can't skate. And John Stewart said, I'm a Jew, I can't dunk, so we all have our limitations. <laughs> now, it's worth worthwhile to think about other ways he could have framed this joke. He could have said, well, I'm 5'6", I can't dunk, or I'm short, I can't dunk, or he could have just said, well, I can't dunk, so we all have our limitations. But the Implicit piece of that would always be, I'm a Jew, so I'm short. I'm a Jew, so I can't dunk. So putting that in the foreground somehow makes it funnier because you're not supposed to say it. Um, one scholar has compared the work of stand-up com comedy to the work of a salesperson, right? A salesperson has to manufacture intimacy with you, right? If you're trying to sell somebody a car, you've got to be like, oh, oh, yeah, my kid also plays soccer. Look at how much room there is in the back for all your soccer gear, right? You try and form a friendship in order to make the sale. Stand-up comedians do the same thing. They try and manufacture intimacy with their audiences. Um, and the thing they're trying to sell is the joke, right? The thing they're trying to get is the laugh. And this perceived closeness is dependent on the comic's disclosure of something presumably personal about himself. So for Jewish comedians like Stuart, this disclosure is their Jewishness. 
Stuart's secret, I'm a Jew, right, was one the audience and the interviewee always already knew. So while it was staged like a confession, it was merely a restatement of something obvious. There he is, <laughs> whispering it. Let's ask now whether or how this works for Jewish women comedians. And we'll start with Amy Schumer. So this is just a couple months after that interview with Louis C.K. That was August 2015. This is going to be this was going to be aired um, October of 2015. And this was Amy Schumer's year of great achievements. Her TV show called Inside Amy Schumer was critically acclaimed. Her film Trainwreck uh, that she wrote and starred in was getting a lot of attention. Um, she was really everywhere at this time. Um, she had Madonna open for her in New York. Uh, she was really doing quite well. So what it says, this is the HBO building in Los Angeles, giant billboard advertising her event. And what we see is uh, up here, it's kind of small, it says, she's a lady. So Amy Schumer live at the Apollo, she's a lady. Now why is it funny? Well, partly for the obvious reasons. She's dressed in man's, men's attire, right? She's got the three-piece suit. She's holding a cigar and some kind of brown alcohol, right, things that are associated with masculinity. Um, but for anybody who knows her um, and knows her comedy, this points to her overt sexuality, right, not ladylike, her openness and joking about bodily functions, and the fact that her performance, both how she looks and how she acts, is at once sexy, classy, ugly, and raunchy. Or as she said on Instagram, this is a, a photo taken by Annie Leibowitz. This is Amy Schumer's Instagram page. She wrote, beautiful, gross, strong, thin, fat, pretty, ugly, sexy, disgusting, flawless woman. Thank you, Annie Leibowitz. One thing that Schumer leaves off of this descriptive list is Jewish, a fact that she and many of her fans elect to keep, to ignore or to keep in parentheses. Schumer is not alone in what I'm going to be calling parenthetical Jewishness, or as she once described herself in being Jewish-ish. There's a cohort of similarly Jewish-ish comedians who have achieved substantial success uh, in the past decade or so. So let's see if you recognize any of these people, the people in the middle. Does anybody know them? This is kind of a millennial thing. Uh, this is Alana Glazer and Abby Jacobson. They had a TV show called Broad City. This is Sarah Silverman, Jenny Slate. She never really had her own show, but she's been in a lot of stuff, movies. This is Lena Dunham. She was on Girls, the creator and star of Girls on HBO. And this is Rachel Bloom, uh, who wrote, created, starred in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, which just ended its four-year run. So all of these women, and there are others as well, present a kind of fresh blend of self-proclaimed feminist, raunchy humor. They might deny the significance of their Jewishness either to their comic personae or in their personal lives, but their Jewishness and its parenthetical quality has deep roots in the history of American comedy, a history that, of course, itself cannot be extracted from Jewishness. Jewish men comedians from the earliest days of vaudeville to the present have regularly and overtly referenced their Jewishness as a kind of hilarious vulnerability, right? Think of John Stewart. From Henny Youngman to Woody Allen to Jerry Seinfeld to John Stewart to Seth Rogen um, to Larry David, um, Jewishness and its attendant anxieties in a Gentile world offer an unending stream of punchlines, right? We remember this. Let's see. Jewish women comedians, from what one call, scholar called the unkosher comedians of the 20th century, these are the unkosher comedians. We've got Sophie Tucker, Belle Barth, and Toadie Fields, um, to Schumer and her cohort, reference their bodies and sexuality often while keeping the Jewish jokes to a minimum. Okay, so we have Jewish men comedians who are constantly referencing their Jewishness and Jewish women comedians who aren't doing that. So when they do reference their Jewishness, it lacks the kind of anxiety-laden humor of their male colleagues. 
So this led me to a kind of equation. Jewish men make Jewish jokes. Jewish women make women jokes. And my research seeks to understand this equation. So I take the notion of the parenthetical Jew, right? I called those women parenthetical Jews. They keep their Jewishness in parentheses from a scholar named Nomi Seidman who uncovered a handful of queer and feminist theorists who quite literally put their own Jewishness into parentheses in their writings. So you'd be reading um, some of their scholarship and they would do things like John Stewart would do where they'd say, I'm a Jew or I'm Jewish and it would be in parentheses. These thinkers chose to foreground their gender identities or their activist agendas as the driving components of their work rather than their Jewishness. 20 years ago when Seidman was working on this material, she was describing a multiculturalist moment and the suspicion that followed parenthetical Jews who stood up for causes not quite their own. So straight Jewish women who are um, activists or who are doing queer theory or activists uh, for gay rights there was always this question of, well, this isn't your cause. Shouldn't you be doing a Jewish thing? Right? So there was a kind of suspicion that followed these women. So even as these Jews, right, Jews in parentheses, are fighting for progressive causes, their failure to identify as Jews first and foremost becomes an invitation for derision from seeming political allies. This begs the question, for those of you who are activists, I mean, Rabbi Shmuley is a big activist, how do you show up as a Jew to a political cause? I think if you're a man, there's some obvious things you can do. Uh, women also can do it. You can put on a talis, you can wear a kippah, right? you can show up as a Jew, but it's not always obvious and it doesn't always feel appropriate or authentic to show up in that way. So what might that even look like? In uh, Seidman's work, Parenthetical Jewishness amounts to its own kind of marginalization. So Jewish women activists are being marginalized um, from the progressive causes they're seeking to support. And it's a marginalization that nevertheless failed to achieve the chic underdog status of other marginalized identities um, within the American multicultural landscape. Now, the feminism of Schumer and Dunham is not sophisticated or scholarly in the way that Seidman's writers are, uh, but their Jewishness does seem to operate in a similar way. They obtained their cachet precisely because of the ways they keep their Jewishness strate strategically within parentheses. They're not denying or ignoring the fact that they're Jewish, but they are engaging with it purposefully without ever allowing it to eclipse the other components of their acts. So I'm going to show you an example now from uh, Broad City, those two um, young women in the center, Abby and Alana. Their show was about two young millennial girls living in New York, trying to date and be successful and figure life out. And the joke was that they're total slackers and total stoners, and they just can't figure it out. And also that they're absolute best friends. So in this little clip that we're going to see, it's, the premise is that it's Yom Kippur, which they'll tell you. And the girls are chatting with each other on FaceTime or Skype. They're each in their own apartment. Okay. We got four hours until the sunset. We can do this. We carbo-loaded last night. Let's go. I know we're not supposed to be this hungry. We are monsters. I don't get Yom Kippur. It sucks. It's like, how is me waiting until the sun sets to eat this bacon, egg, and cheese going to cancel out the time I laughed in that hot dude's face about his weird-shaped nipples oh. mid-coitus? It's not. Oh, I am starving. Jinx. <laughs> I think right now we're just supposed to list like all the bad shit we did this year until the sun sets. Very Jewish. I've been taking my neighbor's GQ magazines for four months. They're really hot. I told these tourists the other day the wrong directions. I didn't want them to know that I didn't know, you know? Like, Sometimes I pray that the subway breaks down or that there's a big disaster in Midtown so I don't have to go to work. Last week at the bodega, the guy gave me change and it was more money than I gave him in the first place and I kept it. Abby, I am 
A terrorist. Abby, what's that picture behind you again? It's Oprah, dude. This is like the main thing of my whole... Mm. <laughs> Are you okay? Yep, I got something in my throat. <coughs> Jeez, I wish I had something in my throat. Like food. I meant food, like not like dicks. Just not right now. Like It's just like a hard thing to describe exactly why. Yeah, you have a, a complicated relationship with blowjobs. It is complicated. It totally is. It just depends on the person. It's like, obviously, it depends on a lot of things, like his personality, his penis. Lil Abner. Yeah. Abula. Abacus. I'm just staring at you. I'm right. What? Abby. Can you go look out the window and tell me what the world is like? I'm too weak to do it myself. Alana. All right. But you owe me big time. People still exist. Alana, are you eating right now? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm weak enough, I'm gonna faint. I don't have to eat the rest of the day if that's what you need. No, what are we never gonna eat again? I'm not cut out for this. And we're, we're gonna throw these away and then we're gonna feel terrible about throwing them away and then we're gonna have to atone for that. We have to eat this or else we're gonna have to fast for not eating it. So there's no denying the Jewishness of this clip, whether you're entertained by it or not. Um, the Jewishness is the premise, right? It sets up the fact that these two girls are starving, that to be good, they have to continue to starve, um, and it allows them to do that work of talking themselves out of it uh, and then finally eating it. But it's not like what we saw with Charles Barkley, where just saying, I'm a Jew, is enough to, to get the laugh. Being Jewish is not what's funny here. It's being slacker, stoner, you know, 20-somethings who talk themselves out of everything, who do funny, bad stuff, right? They're not horrible people, but they're not great either. It's, a ju it's just a different way into making um, the joke. So what, the reason to use parenthetical Jewishness as a conceit is because it's not about denying or erasing their Jewishness. It's about putting it somewhere slightly different. So Amy Schumer once tried to explain why so many of the best comedians are Jewish. This is one of those clumsy things that interviewers will ask of famous Jewish comedians. Why are Jews so funny, right? And so she hesitated a little bit, and then she said, I guess it's the sense of self-importance and entitlement and being unapologetic. She talks in that interview about anti-Semitism as a child that she encountered and how that bolstered her defenses and better enabled her to deal with hecklers on stage. So it was like anti-Semitism was training for comedy. This depiction of Jewishness marked by self-importance and entitlement describes performances by Lena Dunham, Abby and Alana, Sarah Silverman, in addition to earlier generations, uh, including that Sophie Tucker, as we saw, Bette Midler, Joan Rivers, Belle Barth, and so on. The humor of Jewish men comedians cannot be described in the same way. So let's take the example of an anecdote from the Jewish actor and comedian Jason Siegel. So it's another kind of interview as told to a reporter uh, where he's talking about when he got funny. This is when you become funny. Little 13-year-old Jason Siegel standing there like, on Saturday I become a man, he said, imitating his adolescent voice breaking. It's literally a direct cut to getting punched in the face. This is where we can understand how the equation works. For Schumer, the negative Jewish experiences of her childhood fostered self-assuredness that's at the root of her comic persona. For Siegel, the negative Jewish experiences in his childhood are in and of themselves the joke. Both of them find a way to credit their Jewishness for their comedy. But for Siegel, it's the punchline. 
Like Schumer and her contemporaries, the unkosher comedians of the 20th century, namely Tucker, Barth, and Fields, made their bodies the focal points of their acts. Their comedy regularly acknowledged how the audience saw their bodies, exaggerated any qualities that ran counter to conventional standards of beauty, and then joked about their insatiable desire for sex. Like their comedic progeny in the 2010s, Sophie Tucker and her cohort never apologized for their bodies. Uh, there's a very famous um, Amy Schumer episode where she restages uh, the famous movie 12 Angry Men, right, about a, an undecided jury. And in this case, what's on trial is whether Amy Schumer is hot enough to be on TV, right? So she's preemptively skewering the audience for making comments about her body. And likewise, these earlier comedians never apologize for their bodies. They talk about how they're fat or their Jewishness. They use Yiddish or kind of Yiddish-inflected English. And their comedy confidently made demands of Jewish men to fulfill both their sexual and financial needs. As early as the 1970s, Tody Fields was making rape jokes. So here was one of her jokes. She said, I'm so tired of being everybody's buddy. Just once to read in a newspaper, Tody Fields raped in an alley. Here she is. The joke is on Fields' extreme lustful desperation, but it also destabilizes the latent power structures that make women into victims. How can you possibly victimize a woman who wants so badly to be ravaged? Jewishness comes through in her delivery, right? Just once to read, that kind of inflected, um, Yiddish-inflected English. This joke, the everybody's buddy joke, is the radical precursor to Sarah Silverman's very famous one-liner where she says, I was raped by a doctor, so bittersweet for a Jewish girl. So likewise in that joke, Silverman refuses to play the victim in her joke. She undermines the expected desires of Jewish women to land a doctor by imagining the doctor as a violent sex offender. And at the same time, like Fields, she exposes her taboo desire to be desired by that kind of man. These women are not only unapologetically libidinous, they are also unapologetically offensive. As Silverman jokes, who's going to complain about rape jokes? Rape victims? They barely even report rape. While Jewishness plays a role in Silverman's punchline, the joke is on American rape culture, not Jewish women. Just as Schumer and Dunham call out the unreasonable standards of beauty by skewering their own bodies, Silverman calls out the culture of silence among rape victims by skewering her own joke. She dares her audience to be offended, forcing those who enable silence to examine their complicity in rape culture. When these women reference their Jewishness, it lacks the self-derision that characterizes Jewish men's comedy. When I ask students, what is Jewish comedy? almost always say it's self-deprecating humor. The Jewish women are not doing self-deprecating humor. They're doing somehow the opposite of that. So let's take a look at a clip from Amy Schumer's, one of her stand-up acts. Sorry, I've got to pull it up this way. And hopefully they won't force us to watch a cartoon uh, commercial first. No, I totally dealt with racism growing up. I grew up, I was the only Jewish kid in my town, and I grew up on Long Island. Do you guys know what that means? My mom found the one town where we had to be Jews, like underground. She was like, write this diary. I was like, what? I'm like, dear kitty, but uh, no, I totally, the kids didn't call me Amy Schumer, they called me Amy Jumer. And one summer, I'll never forget this, all the kids took turns throwing handfuls of pennies at me. I know, I was like, excuse me, this is awesome, oh my god! <laughs> it was like the well scene in Goonies, I was like, make it rain, huh? The beginning of DuckTales, I was like, woo hoo <laughs> Such a good summer, but uh... No, I really am, I'm cool with all races, all religions, except for some of you. And, uh, no, but I was on the subway, not that long ago, there was this little old woman sitting next to me. You know when they get, like, really little and old? Like, she looked like a raisin, I was like, oh, I wanna put you in my cereal, uh. But anyway, this woman on the subway, guys, when I say she was old, 
like, she was in downward dog. I was like, why is your body asking a question? But, um, so out of nowhere, she asked me, she was like, have you heard the good news? And I didn't know what she meant. I was just like, no, like, is the morning after pill over the counter again? Like, what's, for, for some of us, it's plan A. So, it's excited, you know? But I'm just like, what's the good news? Like, fill me in, Blanche. And she's like, no. She was like, come to the Times Square church. Like, she was, she was trying to save me, you know? So, as nicely as I could, I was like, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but my people are Jewish. And she's like, that's okay, your people just haven't found Jesus yet. And I was like, um, no, like, we found him. Uh, <laughs> maybe you even heard the bad news. I... Okay. There's no, again, no denying the Jewishness of these jokes. Uh, but rather uh, than being marked by vulnerability and self-ridicule, they're marked by pride and hyperconfidence. John Stewart has even talked about kids throwing pennies at him. It has a much different feel to it when he talks about it. They, she doesn't sound anything like the men comics of her generation or generations past, but she does remind us of her cohort of Jewish women comedians and earlier comedians. Um, it is... Funny and ironic that she would celebrate uh, in two different cases of what we might call anti-Semitism, the pennies and also the woman trying to uh, save her. She's not threatened by anti-Semitism. And the threat of anti-Semitism is exactly what marked Jason Siegel's desire to become funny. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. I'm going to show you a clip from the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that I mentioned before. I want to give you a little bit of setup so you know what this is about. It's about a woman named Rebecca Bunch, who is a successful Harvard-educated lawyer. She's on the partner track in New York. And she has a kind of nervous breakdown and uh, follows her, yeah, follows her um, summer camp boyfriend to a town called West Covina, which is a sort of central California location. Not very glamorous. Um, and while she's there, she makes friends and has romances and all of these things. Um, she has a, a lawsuit that's going on against her nemesis, who stayed in New York, who did make partner, named Audra Levine. So Rebecca and Audra have a, a case against each other, and Rebecca wants to settle, but Audra doesn't. And so they're going to have a rap battle, okay? because Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, part of the premise of it is that it's a musical. So at these pivotal moments, they break out in song. And it's not all rap battles, right? The genre of the music tends to match the moment. So it might be a ballad, it might be rock and roll, there's heavy metal, there's R&B, and in this case, it's a rap battle. And listen carefully uh, if you can, the lyrics are pretty great. This is real deep beat from way back in the past, deeper than I'll put a foot up in the crack of your ass. Come on, let's do this. Your little pal can witness how vicious this Westchester alpha bitch is. I'm straight up more You mean because you 
Whatever, you lost it. Oh, cute. Like you're gonna lose this lawsuit. But here's one category where you have no rival. Blowing frat guys with your A.E. Yeah, the show was on for four years. And in fact, uh, the, one of the partners who wrote all the music for the show went to high school with me, and they won an Emmy. Yes, this is clearly this demographic is not the target demographic for this show, and that's fine. Um, because this is not about, um, I'm not promoting any of this media, I'm just analyzing it, right? And trying to understand where we are in comedy and what the implications are for us. So. The, of course, the Jap idea, these two women are appropriating, again, appropriating with some kind of badge of honor, an anti-Semitic term, Jap, Jewish American princess. Um, they return at the end of the series. The two women sort of come together, and they have another uh, Jap battle rap. But this time, it's about um, praising each other rather than competing with each other. But even the, the rap battle genre is designed for hyperconfidence. Rap battles are about two rappers trying to outrap the other and say how great they are and how terrible the other person is. So it makes sense that these two women exposing how hyperconfident they are would be doing that. I just really like your tripping like birthright, egged on like a Seder plate. I, I like that. Um, you because you have to be right. This is a, it's a kind of inside joke. Um, but there, I'm going to show you, I think, one more, which might be relatable. It's called Where's the Bathroom? And in this case, this is uh, Rebecca's mother, played by Tova Felcha, who you might have heard of from Broadway, among other things. Um, she's coming to visit her daughter in West Covina, and she's ashamed and disappointed at the choices that her daughter has made. Again, we'll find a familiar trope, the overbearing Jewish mother. But I want us to see how Jewishness sort of um, underpins this performance. But it's not central. It's not the punchline. The punchline is not, we're Jews, and this is how Jews are, uh, but something else about uh, mothers and daughters or womanhood. that you have a bathroom in this hospital. I don't know which was bumpy or the plane ride or the taxi. All these freeways are a nightmare. Where's my purse? I'll need my phone. Bye, bye. You're looking healthy and by healthy I mean chunky. I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just stating it as fact. I see your eczema is back. Are you using the lotion that I sent you? If you're not gonna use it, I'll return it to the store. Don't interrupt me. 
What's important about this is that it would be very difficult to imagine a Jewish father and a Jewish son having anything remotely similar to this kind of comic conversation of him judging his son for not being married um, or talking about his son's body and eating habits and sex habits, right? All of these things enter into the conversation and that room is made because they're women. So their comically exaggerated confidence is not explicitly Jewish, right? And there are lots of other comedians, contemporary comedians who are doing very well, who also display this kind of comically exaggerated confidence. They all tend to be women. But if, men's comics, if men comics repeated references to their own weaknesses, right? If self-deprecation can read to us as Jewish, then as these women gain visibility, their displays of sexual or emotional or professional hyperconfidence can also read as Jewish. Put another way, their feminism, even when it's not placed within a Jewish context, may be inextricable from their Jewishness, just as Seidman demonstrated of the parenthetically Jewish feminist scholars. So the question is then, what happens if women attempt traditional Jewish humor or men's Jewish humor. If their Jewishness remains in the realm of the parenthetical in their comedy, it might not be entirely by choice. So in 2015, Lena Dunham contributed to the Shouts and Murmurs comedy section of the New Yorker magazine uh, with a kind of fake quiz. And it was called Dog or Jewish Boyfriend, a quiz. Do the following statements refer to A, my dog, or B, my Jewish boyfriend? And if you read, she goes on, the quiz is playing on the classic tropes that were once considered anti-Semitic, but later became an ingrained part of Jewish comedy. The Jewish boyfriend in Dunham's piece is cheap, asthmatic, has an overbearing mother, he's a hairy hypochondriac with a weak stomach, and if you take a quick pass over Jon Stewart's joke work on The Daily Show, Woody Allen's film repertoire, Seinfeld's ambiguously Jewish George, Larry David's fictionalized version of himself on Curb, or the self-deprecating styles of Seth Rogen or Jason Siegel, it will reveal how these caricatures of Jewish men as weak and overly frugal, emasculate mama's boys permeate American Jewish joke lore. So Lena Dunham was participating in this tradition of Jewish humor. But guess what happened? She was immediately skewered by the Jewish press, and the Anti-Defamation League condemned her officially in writing uh, for writing this piece, and they condemned the New Yorker for publishing it. Uh, they called it offensive and troubling. Dunham's parenthetical Jewishness is to blame for the public outrage at her piece. Or maybe because she's a woman, a fact that can't necessarily be extrapolated from her parenthetical Jewishness, uh, she got in trouble. She's not entitled to that uh, 
series of jokes. When a Jewish woman employs Jewish men's humor, she's gone too far. In being too Jewish with her humor, she has betrayed her status as woman. So back to our equation, Jewish men make Jewish jokes and Jewish, parenthetically Jewish women, make women jokes. This is a 2008 article from Vanity Fair, um, written by Alessandra San uh, Stanley. And the three women here are Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, and Tina Fey. Of the three, only Maya Rudolph is Jewish, but that's not what the article's really about. The headline, as you can see, is, Who Says Women Aren't Funny? After decades of insecurity, women finally feel they can look good and still be taken seriously as comics. Funny women in the old days didn't try to look their best. They tried to look comical. Now, despite this claim of radical change, nearly half a century earlier, the New York Times published what amounts to the exact same article. Okay, this is from 1970. It's called, The Funny Thing is That They're Still Feminine. And in the article, it said, uh, we can see some people you might know, Joan Rivers, Lily Tomlin, Madeline Kahn. So a few Jews, a few non-Jews up there. In the article, it says, time was when a woman comedian had to make herself ugly, cross her eyes, or fall down in order to get laughs. And it continues, there's a new breed of funny girl emerging, one who believes that a woman can be both funny and feminine at the same time. Okay? They're the same, it's the same article, one from 1970 and one from 2008. Never mind that no such article from the past 50 years discusses male comedians in terms of their collective attractiveness. What's interesting here is the repetition. Women's comedy has been branded as new for the past 45 years. Actually, I wrote this a while ago. We can say the past 50 years now. When women comedians can be taken, whether women comedians can be taken seriously and whether this can happen without taking their appearance into account is a challenge that Amy Schumer and Lena Dunham redirect back at their audiences and critics. Now, in lumping Schumer and company together here, I'm guilty of participating in a trend that judges women comedians only in relation to each other. But by interrogating them as Jewish women, I ask if that position allows for access to a certain variety of comedy or whether a misogynist system has left them little recourse. Here's Amy Schumer next to Jason Siegel. So it's not just their Jewishness, but it's parenthetical quality that leaves me to analyze them together as opposed to with Jewish men whose Jewishness comes across as comically explicit. If we look here at Jason Siegel's facial expression, right? He's, he's like almost, he's on the verge of the Jewish shrug. Um, this picture is not supposed to be sexy. He's not holding his body in a way that is supposed to be sexy. Amy Schumer, I think, is, right? Even though she's gonna critique herself, viewers are gonna critique her body. Um, this is supposed to be beautiful and sexy. This is supposed to be hilarious. It's the same basic image, but when a Jewish man does it, it looks different from when a Jewish woman does it. When watching Jewish women comics, I ask what patterns emerge when Jews maintain their Jewishness in parentheses. And then I ask why parenthetical Jewishness appears for now to be a variety of marginalized identity reserved only for women. And that's all I have, and I'd really like to hear your questions or thoughts. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Excuse me. Going back to your equation for a moment. Also true of other minorities where the male picks makes fun of himself as a black person, as a Hispanic, or the women as you used parenthetically. So I've started to do a little bit of research on this, and what I found is that first of all. I'm going to talk plenty about black comedy tonight, although not really about gender, so it'll be a little different. Uh, but I've certainly found there's been an, a rise in Asian comedians in the past 10 or 15 years, and I have seen a very similar pattern where the men um, are 
self-deprecating and the women are hyper-confident. And so I'm talking about, you know, Asia's a big continent, Southeast Asian, um, Indian, Chinese, and so on. Um, they're doing, it appears to be very similar. Um, I think we need a little bit more of that, more representation. Stand-up comedy is really um, dominated by Jews. So we'll see what happens. It might be that this identity phenomenon operates the same across ethnicity, so that when a woman walks into a room, regardless of her race or ethnicity, what we see first is gender and then race ethnicity, uh, whereas a man, we see race and ethnicity uh, first. Um, so that might be what's happening, or they might be taking cues from this history of American stand-up, where this is what makes men funny, is deprecating themselves, whereas that is what makes women funny, playing up their confidence. Yeah? What would you say about the marvelous Mrs. Mason? I, I knew someone was going to ask that, and, I, and I'm glad. Um, I, do, I have a lot of thoughts about that show and what she's doing. I think it's playing into this myth that those two articles uh, play, that it's so rare to see a beautiful, funny woman, or that somehow beauty and, and, and funniness, comedy are separate things. Um, so it's playing into that stereotype. Um, she does a little bit with her Jewishness. Did you see the most recent season? In the most recent season, that's when it's been the most interesting because she's been on tour. And so her Jewish shtick that works so well in New York stops working when she's outside of New York or even outside of her neighborhood of New York, right? When she goes into the black comedy club, it doesn't work for that audience. Um, so she is, I think, working through how comedy operates, but I do think she presents her, she knows she's gorgeous and she presents herself that way. She does talk confidently about her body, about sex and her desire for it, just as these women are doing. Um, and she's positioned against uh, a kind of pseudo-Sophie Tucker type, um, although it, it gets a little messy when you try to map it onto historical figures. But yeah, it, I think it's reinforcing some of these ideas. Um, but in a lot of ways, that show is sort of a drama or a dramedy. So the, the stand-up isn't, I, I don't think it's as central to the show as some of the other things that are going on. Yeah. Um, have you watched Schitt's Creek? I love Schitt's Creek. <laughs> well, I started watching it really mm -hmm. recently. And um, in the middle of the second season, I, I mean, I'm watching it. I'm enjoying the humor. I like it. Until the second season when he says he's Jewish. It now, I look at the show differently. Even though the two, I mean, mm -hmm. Levy and his son and his daughter is the one that works in the restaurant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they wrote it. Right. It is, when you look at the whole picture of the interaction between the characters, where they've come from, how they landed in the situation, mm -hmm. it's like, as much as I enjoy it, it's uncomfortable. Right, so Jewishness on, she's talking about a show called Schitt's Creek, which is a Canadian sitcom. It's gotten a lot of acclaim here recently um, with Eugene Levy and his son, um, who are the writers and stars of the show. Uh, Jewishness on that show is the same as being cosmopolitan, right? Those two things. You're wealthy, you're cosmopolitan, you're out of touch with Main Street, USA, right? So Jewishness comes, they're not really leaning into it as much as they could, but a lot of the way that they do masculinity, right? They're not big muscle men and they're positioned often against really big masculine men. Um, so that reads as Jewish. The women, I don't think that um, Moira is supposed to be Jewish, the wife. So I think the kids are, yeah, so they're, it's a mixed family. And so that gives it another sort of layer. Because they talk about it a little bit. They celebrate Christmas. Um, they, they mention it at one point. Okay. Yeah. But I just did such a double take. When he's sitting across the thing and he said, are you? He said, am I what? Are you? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, he couldn't get it in. I'm uncomfortable saying. And at that point, I still watch it. But I watch it with a different...
Right. Well, and what's interesting also is the, the queerness of the show, right? That, that question you could put in the predicate either gay or Jewish. Yes, mother. <laughs> um, you mentioned early on about how um, women are criticized, Jewish women are criticized often for participating, maybe it's not just women, participating in non-Jewish causes. Right. Okay, so is that, I mean, I, I, I think most recently of the Women's March, for example, where, yeah. um, you know, the, the Jews at first were very gung-ho and then they were pulled back because there were other issues that were coming out. I mean, is that the kind of thing that you were talking about? Um, yes, and we will discuss that more tonight. But uh, I will say that the conversation about how to show up in, in starting in 2017 with the first Women's March and then the kind of surge of or renewal of activist culture in America, there have been ongoing debates among Jews about how to show up as Jews, what it looks like, sounds like, feels like, what you stand for, what you don't stand for, what you talk about, what you don't talk about. And there's been a really, um, there have been some really successful movements. Um, I don't want to mix up the names of the groups, but I think If Not Now is the one that's, um, they're protesting in front of ICE facilities and trying, you know, trying to help shut down some of these uh, detention centers at the border. Um, and so they're not engaging with any traditionally Jewish cause. They're not talking about it in terms of Israel or tikkun olam, but they are a Jewish organization and um, calling themselves that. So there's this kind of push and, and pull about how to show up or whether to show up as Jews uh, in these spheres and what the implications are, uh, what the assumed politics of the Jew become when they show up as a Jew. And it becomes more complicated for women because the markers of Jewishness are not as easily available, right? Yes. Is there a problem with the, the Jewish shtick that the women do being more offensive than the Jewish shtick that men do? Um, so what I usually tell my students is that comedy is always going to offend somebody, right? Somebody's got to be the butt of the joke. And the good comedy is when what's funny outweighs what's offensive. And that's sort of in the eye of the beholder, right? We all decide if it makes us laugh, it makes us laugh. Um, I don't necessarily think that one is more offensive than the other. One is certainly more vulgar than the other. What the Jewish women are doing is pushing boundaries of vulgarity, which is why I called this dirty Jews, you know, because they, they really are talking about things that no, no one is supposed to talk about, least of all women, right? There's no such thing as women's locker room talk but they're exposing it. Um, what Jewish men historically have done in their comedy has always been at the expense of Jewish women. I mean, the very famous, take my wife, please. I take my wife everywhere. She finds her way back, right? That's all, it's, it's about Jewish women as hating sex, as only caring about money, as being overbearing, as being bad cooks, as talking too much. That, that's also offensive, right? So they're... How do you find your way into comedy when you've always been the butt of the joke? And the answer is that they've always already been in comedy. They've always been sort of responding to each other um, in, in comedy, especially when you look as far back as Sophie Tucker, who was performing for something like 60 years. Anyone else? All right, uh, yeah. What you're saying about um, Jewish women comics, would that carry over to black? So that's the thing that I haven't, I haven't worked it out uh, in my mind as well. Um, I will be talking about black comedy tonight, but the gender piece is kind of missing for me. Um, and part of it has to do, again, with representation. Um, I think most people in this room could probably name at least two black comedians, right? Two of whom were like featured at the Oscars last night, right? But it's much harder to come up with names of black women comedians. So there's a kind of representational issue at play here, but it's changing, and again, I haven't, it's a great question that I need to work through. Right. Thank you. Thank you.
Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.